Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Morning, Justice. Morning, Alexis. I just finished dinner. Morning, Susan. I just Hi. finished dinner. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yes. Hey, Brittany Ann. How are you? All right. Sorry, I'm just kidding. There we go. Morning, Jess. Morning, Dala. Hey, Catherine. Okay. Hope you guys are all okay. I know it's been a bit of a week on the retreat. It's always a big one. Um, okay. Sorry, just bear with me as I get my screen set up. All right. Well, um, let's get into it. So quick, um, like thumbs up, thumbs down in between. How did you find this week's um, exercises and, and the work on the whole? Was it... Uh, Okay, we've got a thumbs up. That's good. We've got some, yeah. We got a, yep, okay. <laughs> we got a few. <laughs> That's like, that. that is to be expected, I think. Um, it's, a, it's a tough one, I think, this week. Um, I know when I was first preparing for the retreat, the idea of um, self-compassion, like it, I got a really big emotional response from it, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I think that some of the work, some of the, the exercises and the ideas that we sort of spoke about in the video, um, they don't come naturally. So if you found it difficult, you obviously you're not alone in that. Um, and I found it difficult when I first wrote it. Like I remember crying when I first wrote about it. So it's, um, yeah, it's certainly a challenge. Um, now, before I get into questions and whatnot, and I didn't get too many come through for uh, via email this week. So if you do have anything you wanted to talk about, make sure to let me know in chat and um, I'll bring you, bring you, get you unmuted and we can chat about it on the call. Um, but a few kind of housekeeping -y things. So I did end up creating a Facebook group. I'm not sure if you all saw that on the email I sent out last week, uh, last Sunday or not. But lovely Linda is the admin for that. Um, it's just an informal kind of group. I know there were, there were quite a few people who were interested in connecting outside of these calls. Um, and I'm really happy that that's something that you would like to do. I'll pop in um, on occasion. I don't really use Facebook very much. So um, that's why Linda's taken over. <laughs> and I think it'll be a really great place to kind of keep in touch or to keep the, the conversations going as well about come up during the weeks. Um, I know a couple of people were in there during the week saying that they were finding writing a letter to themselves really, really difficult. So um, we can talk about that if you want as well. Um, I also this morning woke up in a cold sweat and realized that I didn't actually put together the, the document. I didn't um, link the document with people's um, rhythms, morning and evening rhythms in it that I, that I mentioned I would do uh, last week. So I'm sorry about that. I will put it together um, and put it up on the website today and link to it in Sunday's email, just so you don't miss it. Uh, but if you would like to share your rhythm or if there's an idea that you've found really helpful, um, like the 
genius idea of having a, a hot water flask next to your bed um, or something like that, then feel free to drop it in an email to me and I'll add it to the, um, the document too. I think it's just it's kind of a really nice way to almost crowdsource ideas and to see what other people are doing. And, um, you know, I often find inspiration from, from that kind of stuff too. So if you want to include your work in progress rhythm, just pop it in an email and I'll add it. Um, and I think that's it. There's just the two, two things that I wanted to dig into. Um, now, I did get a, a couple of emails at the end of last week um, from people who shared their rhythms. So thank you for doing that, which was awesome to read. Um, uh, but I also received an email from Maple. I don't, is Maple on the call today? No, not at the moment. Maple's going to be late. Sorry? Maple's going to be late today. I can't hear you. Oh. There we go. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, Maple's going to be late, but she is coming. Okay, cool. Well, I might actually wait then because she had a great question and I would like to talk about it with her. So thank you. Um, I got a, an email from Claire. Is Claire on the call? No. Um, and essentially she was just sort of sharing some of the things she was struggling with this week um, in terms of self um, really The idea of not berating herself um, for, for not sticking to a task or, or for not doing something well enough. And this idea of enoughness keeps coming up time and time again, I think, as we, as we look at self-compassion. Um, and I, I just wanted to share that with you because I know that that uh, is something that, that I struggle with and I know that it's something that, that a lot of people struggle with. So um, what I wanted to say to Claire is that it really does take time to um, practice, to unlearn these reactions of, you know, not being good enough and these immediate responses to berate ourselves. Um, and over time, particularly if things get difficult or if our situation changes or we find ourselves, I don't know, in the middle of a pandemic and everything feels different and weird, um, it's easy to slip back into those, like those old patterns of behaviour and that's going to happen. But like we were talking about last week, that doesn't, that doesn't void all of the progress you'd made up until that point. Um, it's just a new path, you know, every day. Um, um, but Claire also shared something really sweet with me, which I liked and I wanted to share it with you. She said, another technique that I've learned from a wonderful teacher, um, like a self-compassion technique, um, and the teacher's name is Helen Rebello, is to think of your, um, your ego or your inner critic as if it were a small puppy um, that just needs a pat on the head and a bit of a cuddle. And I really thought that was gorgeous because um, I think I've spent a lot of time thinking that my inner critic was just this horrible, mean, bitchy voice that I needed to resist and kind of stick in a box and scream at. And then over the last couple of years, I've sort of realised that there is definitely an element to that inner critic um, that is insecure and a little bit sad and a little bit scared. So I kind of loved that um, Claire offered this idea of like an alternative idea of thinking of it as a little puppy. And she sent me a photo of the puppy that she envisages when she pictures her inner critic. And it's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. So, I mean, she stuck that on her journal and she writes to this puppy if she's feeling particularly 
hard on herself. She's like, how could you be cruel to that puppy? He just wants a bit of love. So I quite liked that. Um, kind of flipping it and, and it, it's an opportunity to maybe not treat all of this work quite so seriously either. You know, there is there is a person who kind of needs that that extra bit of love and, and kindness and, and security and sense of um, home. And myself, when I'm, I practice that kind of more radical self-compassion, um, I, I find it incredibly powerful. Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, I just, yeah, I really wanted to share that with you because who doesn't need a cute puppy in their face on a Friday morning or a Thursday night? Um, now, I also just wanted to shout out really quickly, actually, to um, Justin. So Justin can't make the calls. He is in the UK. Um, but he sent me a phenomenally insightful email during the week that I won't share all of it with you. But um, he essentially just outlined his progress over the past few weeks. And I know he watches or listens to these calls after we finish. And I just wanted to say thank you, Justin, for getting in touch and, um, and sharing everything that you shared. Uh, and I want to honour the fact that you're holding space for all of this. Um, I know that you're going through a lot of changes in your, your personal life. And Justin sort of exemplified what it is that I love about every single person on this retreat, this willingness to dig in and to can continue to, to revisit. You know, Justin spoke about how he's rejigging his values again. Um, sort of four weeks in because he's sort of using a different lens to look at the, the things that, is ha that are happening in his life and the, the changes that he's looking to make in his life. And sort of what I was talking about earlier, I mean, none of that undoes the progress that led us up to this point. It's just a refining or, you know, a, we continue to excavate these things that are important in our lives and, um, and then a, like, apply them to the decisions that we're making. So Justin, thank you for, um, for, for sharing everything that you did. And hopefully that kind of resonates with some people listening as well. Um, I just want to see if Maple's not on yet. No, okay, cool. Um, so does anyone have questions, I guess, is, is the first thing um, that I wanted to, to kind of ask because uh, I didn't get too many coming through this week and I have a, a feeling that's, Maybe because it was a quite a challenging set of exercises um, or you're still kind of back last week or the week before, which is also completely fine. So if you've got sort of questions or anything you found yourself struggling with this week um, related to self-compassion or anything on the peripheral of that, let me know. Um, I'll put your hand up and, and I'll have a chat with you. Angie? How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Good morning, everybody. Um, I, I guess I have a question. I'm, I'm still stuck on last week, actually. And um, I have a question. Well, I'd appreciate some guidance on how you can, how you can really find a new rhythm when life is turned upside down. So, for us, um, the kids of well. Two of my three kids have gone back to school full time. One is half part time, and will go back full time next week. Um, and it, as much as um, I was desperately trying to find a new rhythm before the return to um, normal or a new normal, 
um, it seems like I just I just can't in this. It feels like it's gone back worse than it was <laughs> pre-COVID. You know, we were we were swimming upstream and paddling like crazy underwater, but still, um, you know, doing all the, the things that needed to happen. But now that we've had this period of um, not that, and then it's returned to, um, you know, all the co-curricular and everything, all the stuff with school has gone back there. In, I've got two in year 12 and one in year 10, and so it's pretty full on for them. Yeah. Um, I, I just can't find a rhythm. I cannot, I cannot find a morning rhythm. I cannot find an evening rhythm. Mm. Um, we, we, we seem in this really strong sort of disequilibrium, I guess. And while I've tried to be compassionate to myself in that, that, you know, it's not the old normal. It's not quite a new normal. It's just this land in between somewhere. Um, I, I am really stuck with rhythm. Yeah. I'm stuck there. Like, can I just say, no wonder. I mean, truly, <laughs> it's completely and perfectly understandable that that's how you would be feeling. Um, because it's, it's, it's such a difficult thing to try and articulate. You know, we had this old normal, right, pre-COVID normal, and it was what it was. And there was a lot that some of us, that many people that I've spoken to at least have found um, that we didn't miss in this limbo time, you know, and then before we've even really had a chance to recalibrate to this limbo and put in place anything that we want the new normal to look like, um, it, it was sort of back in place and we felt even less equipped maybe to deal with it. That's certainly how I'm, I'm feeling. So um, I, my, our kids go back to school full time on Monday um, and like part of me is really happy for that to be the case. Um, but there is a certain part of me that feels like a sense of loss of, of you know, the, the in-between almost. Mm -hmm. So that's a hard place to build something new from. Like you don't have any certainty at the moment. So what I would say is to continue giving yourself time um, and try and float in the not knowing for the next week or two um, because I think then you might be able to perhaps do maybe some journaling or mind mapping or talking it out with someone um, the things that you really are glad to have back and you know you might have a bit better grip on what that those things are in a couple of weeks when the kids are back in school and everyone's back in school and you can sort of start to, to catch your breath but it also gives you an opportunity to think about the things that you miss about this in-between time. Um, and I think that's when we can start to experiment, you know, say, what if, what if we took this out for a while? What if, you know, this thing that has been a, like a steady part of our rhythms for however long, what if we removed it for a bit? What if we instead installed a, you know, 24 hour period where it's just family or like, I, I don't know what it is that you'll miss, but, you know, really kind of get creative about, what that looks like um but i think you need a bit of time between now and and that now and then for that to happen um but i've found that writing things out and like mind mapping and getting a bit crazy on a just get a big piece of paper and some textures and start kind of drawing the things that are part of your 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 morning part of your evening that um you really want to keep things that you have to keep and then see what else sort of 
falls into the maybe we could let this go for a while category. Um, yeah, and I think just maybe bringing a, I guess, bringing a, an experimentation approach to it might be helpful and saying, what would happen if we did this for a month? Um, rather than feeling like you need to lock yourself into like a perfect rhythm straight out of the gate when the ground we're walking on isn't even still yet, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. Um, and as Laura said, like some periods in life are just crazy, you know, and this is a seasonal shift. Um, you're in a really, really hectic time with the ages of your kids too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not, that's nothing to underestimate. And that would take a huge amount of your resources, like just mentally and emotionally. Yeah, it does. To yeah. be there for them. So, um, you know, I think being a, being as gentle with yourself as possible um, and perhaps rather than finding a an entire rhythm that feels like it's a perfect fit to the way you want to flow through life, find one anchor point in your morning and one anchor point in your evening that is for you. Um, that allows you to feel like you're filling up that cup for, you know, one of a better cliche. Um, you're, you know, and it, it really does allow you to feel grounded and rooted in your morning and in your evening. Um, and particularly at the moment, as everything feels so fluid, everything else can kind of flow around you a little. Yeah, I like that idea of an of an of just one anchor point. That seems that seems doable. Everything else seems just. Like I looked at my list of the things I, that need to happen in the morning and, you know, trying to choose sort of one that I would want to happen. And it, it's just, um, it's just crazy chaos, actually. Yeah. So um, uh, I made that, that's that compassion, I guess, is trying to find just one anchor point. And even, even if, and maybe the compassion is even if that anchor point is something that actually just needs to happen, yeah. that, that then can provide the, um, the, the safe harbour for a little bit when everything else is is back into full, you know, come on, get ready, get ready. Like the time, the time has become really fast again, like instantly. Yeah. Time's a slippery thing, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. It's such a strange, um, it's such a strange thing to try and to get a handle on because it's just, it will slip through your fingers and then other time, like, and we've come through a period where time did something else entirely. Yeah, yeah. that's and, right. Yeah. So I, what I, I have um, found is that time feels different when we are um, focusing on one task at a time. And like, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to apply that to a morning with kids. That just doesn't, that doesn't work. If you're trying to get everyone up and out of the door, dressed and fed and everything they need for school, it, that's not a really rich time for single tasking. <laughs> But it can be an opportunity to say, well, what, what am I trying? What else am I trying to fit into that morning time that is adding to the multitasking? You know, could, is there an input that I can remove? Is there something that I can remove that is, that is making me do more multitasking than I absolutely need to, to be doing? Um, and if you combine that maybe with just finding one um, anchor point, and even if that anchor point is your, um, you know, is making your cup of tea while getting breakfast out or whatever it might be. Uh, that can just be the thing that's saying, okay, I'm here, we're doing this and I'm going to do my best to show up for each of the things that needs to happen. Uh, even if it feels like there's too many of them at the moment. Mm. 
Yeah. It's not easy though. I don't like. I don't. I don't have. Um, I wish I had like a magic. Yeah. Deal that would make everything really easy and light. But I think that we're in this kind of period, and will be for quite some time, where we start to unpick these structures of life that are in place, not necessarily because we put them there, but because that's the way society works, or you know, um, that's the expectation of the kids' schools and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, as Beck said, maybe no rhythm is a new rhythm, at least for a while. I like that. For a while, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and that could be an experiment too. And sort of by having that, that anchor point, you can just still continue to have that sense of groundedness um, while letting everything else flow. I must say that while I've been, um, while we've been kind of locked down, um, my rhythm is very loose to non-existent. Um, and I felt really guilty about that for a while, and it's obviously going to be really telling once the kids go back to school as to how that does or doesn't kind of like. um, Sorry, I'm just gonna mute that. Sorry. Um, yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see. I'm trying to just allow myself to go with it and see. Um, yeah, I don't have any any specific advice though. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, is anyone else kind of feeling in a similar situation as Angie? As things start to yeah, lots of nods. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. None of us have been through this before either. You know, like this is a completely new. Um, unprecedented kind of time so I think Brooke your point about um, time is actually shifting like it's actually it's taken on a different um, feeling almost and um, and it's changing so quickly so some there are some moments like yesterday was actually my first day in eight or nine weeks where I was the only one in the house yeah. with our puppy. So that was good. But um, uh, it was weird. It was totally weird. And I kind of feel a bit like I'm back to, I mean, you know, my kids are nearly eight, twins are nearly 18 and my youngest is nearly 16. But it feels like we're back to almost having primary schoolers where we're doing the running around because we're kind of, you know, do we go on public transport? Do we take the school buses? Do we... So I'm, you know, I'm kind of driving them. So my day feels again like a, you know, the school drop off and the school pick up, which I actually haven't had for years, um, and in between working from home still. So it's the the time is really it's changed. It's got this really mm. weird sort of character to it, which is, you know, I, in your post you had talked about sort of um, bending time a little bit, um, and um, I could see that when it was slower. Yeah. Now, I don't know what's happening. It's like it's spiraling. It's not bending. It's doing something. It's doing something else again, which is odd. It's odd. And it leaves you kind of feeling, um, yeah, really untethered. So I guess that's why that, that concept of an anchor point is, is uh, compassionate, but reassuring that, you know, there's some, there is a safe harbor somewhere in this spiral. Yeah, and I wonder whether it's like, 
I remember the word that I kept using when everything sort of kicked off and everyone was starting to lock down and, you know, the, I felt like the world changed almost overnight. I kept using the word discombobulated, you know, that sense where you're completely separated from reality inside your own head. Um, and I think that that's kind of the sense that people are getting as we shift back to kids being at school or perhaps going back to our workplaces or, you know, whatever that looks like. It's also discombobulating because we adapt really quickly. And I think we all... No, I'm not going to say all. I know a lot of people found um, a certain sense of relief or reprieve in these last eight or nine weeks, not because we wanted it to be the way it is, but because there was a certain sense of space that we just don't have. And I think that for those people who had, who found themselves feeling that way, um, it was a very natural adaptation to a, a slower pace. So then to see things picking back up um, when we've got this sort of, this, this, um, these two opposing kind of ways of living and we're seeing them like literally butt up against each other from one week to the next. It's, that's very discombobulating. Um, and yeah, so Laura, exactly. Um, the, the time has sped back up and it feels like um, it's faster. March, <laughs> someone said, you know, 30 days have September, April, June and November. All the rest have 31 except March, which has 8,000. Um, and that's how March felt, you know. It really, really felt um, long for, for most of us, I think. Uh, but, yeah, May, I mean, it's May. It's May. It's nearly, it's heading towards the middle of the year. Um, and, I mean, I don't have a, I don't, I don't obviously know why that's the case, but I have been reading a lot about how our perception of time changes um, when we're when we when we're experiencing things in different ways so march was new everything about march was new like none of us have lived through a pandemic before none of us have been locked down none of us have been under stay at home orders um, and when our brains are processing new experiences um, we pro we literally process every part of that new experience because our brain is learning it's kind of taking on board all these new things Whereas when we do things that we have done many times before, uh, like we've travelled the same road to work every day or, you know, we cook the same meals once a week or whatever it is, our brains get really good at no longer actually processing that information beyond having to do it. We don't create a memory of it because we've done it so many times before. So our perception of time, which is what we remember of it, is shortened. So March was full of all of these new experiences that we've created memories of, and it feels like it went for 8,000 days. May, or at least up until this point in May, for a lot of people, we've sort of shifted into this new interim normal. And again, our brains are very, very quick to no longer process everything that happens. So um, in a way, I, like, it'll be interesting to see what time does for the rest of the year uh, as we sort of shift into what this next stage is, because some of it will be new. Um, and I think some of our um, discomfort with the speed of things will be new, but the speed of things and the amount of things that we're trying to do will be old, you know, and um, there's going to be a tension there. And Angie, I think maybe that's what you're, you're really in the thick of at the moment, that tension. Um, and I guess... The thing that I'm trying to do to combat some of that is to just spend a little bit of time every day in noticing or doing something new or different, um, even if it is just paying attention to a tiny detail. So that's, I guess, mindfulness practice. 
but paying close attention to something that I've never really noticed before gives my brain the ability to create a new memory, to really revel in the detail of a moment or a person or a song or a thing or, you know, something I can see. And that allows time to stretch in a different way. So that's not necessarily going to help um, with the the logistics of your rhythm, but it can really potentially help in terms of your sense of time speeding up again. Um, And that could be your anchor. Maybe that could be your anchor. If you're making a cup of tea every morning and you spend that five minutes while the jug's boiling, noticing something new or putting a song on and actually just listening to the song, you know, that maybe a song you've heard a hundred times before, but you've never really heard it that way because you've not really taken the time to stop and listen. Um, And kind of just imbue that five minutes in the morning with a sense of spaciousness. Um, That could help maybe just to play around with time and see. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's really interesting though. Like, uh, yeah, I'm fascinated to see how we're going to, how we're going to move forward through this because I think like this group is a perfect example of people who don't necessarily want to just slip back. You know, you're here, you're asking questions, you're doing the work um, of, of changing the way that you live and the way that you see yourself in the world. So yeah, I mean, I know I don't want things to just go back. I don't think we can actually, much like what we've been talking about. I think it's impossible to go back. We've made we've made discoveries. We learned things, and you can't unlearn those. We can try, but yeah. Um, so hopefully, there's something there, Angie, that will help, or anyone else who's feeling in you know much the same kind of um, yeah, much the same much the same place. Um, anyone else? Got any questions or anything that they found themselves coming up against? All right. Can I, Brooke, sorry, can I, I was just thinking on, can you, would you mind just repeating, just so I have got it in my head, what you were saying about the reading you've been doing, what happens in your brain when you're learning new things? Can you just... Go out of that again. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I came to it because I was curious as to why um, when you're a kid, time seems to go slowly. You know, like the month before Christmas felt like a year and it would you'd just like mark every day off and it felt like it would just go forever and ever and ever. Um, and then why as an adult, and I feel like every year everyone says it, it's like I said, said it about last year, but this year was even faster and faster and faster. So I was curious. I wanted to see if there was any actual reason for that um, or if it was just like that seriousness that we all sort of tend to get as we get older. Um, and there's quite a lot of research about um, how it, it's more about the perception of time, right, rather than actually slowing down time. But as a kid, when you're learning to do new things, you're having new experiences, you go into a new grade, you get a new teacher, you, you know, you're learning all of these new, new things about yourself and the world, your brain, um, like it's new to your brain. So your brain needs to process it fully and it creates memories of it um, that you can then refer back to. And it's when we create memories that essentially we change our perception of time um, because that's what we look back on and, and see that, yes, that was a really full week because, 
you know, you learnt a lot and you, you took a lot of information on board and you made a lot of memories. Um, and as you get older, your new experiences drop off significantly, um, particularly if, you know, you start working in a job that you commute to and you, you know, that's maybe two hours of your day is spent doing the same thing over and over again, over and over again. And then perhaps at the work that you do, um, you find yourself doing the same thing over and over again and there's a really steady routine to life. So your brain then realises, okay, I don't need to actually pay attention to all of these every time because they're the same over and over again. So it does the minimum amount <laughs> to get you through those, those experiences and it, it keeps the minimum amount um, of information stored as a memory. And it's only when something different happens that it stores a memory and, and really feels like time behaved differently when you look back on it. So, I mean, you could have, you could maybe do the same commute a hundred times and you genuinely have no recollection of them except for when that weird thing happened on the train, you know, and that's because your brain's like, oh, this is different. And that is sort of why our perception of time feels different when we are doing new things. So March was full of new things. Like everyone was inundated with information to process. So the days, like the days might not have felt like they, they dragged. Some days did, some days didn't. But when we look back, we're like, did all of that happen in March? Because March felt so enormously full of new experiences. Whereas April and May, maybe not so much because we'd settled into what was the current kind of interim limbo normal. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Thank you. That's yeah. okay. No, I just found it really fascinating. I, I didn't know if anyone else would find it interesting, but I just find the way that we can actually bend time really interesting simply by changing things up a little bit, doing something slightly new, like taking a different road to work or, you know, taking a different route on our walk with the dogs or, um, you know, changing up the, the clothes we wear or whatever, like anything, a tiny difference can actually kickstart our brain into paying attention again. Um, and it's sort of getting us out of that autopilot mode. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. That's all right. No, thank you for asking. Dala, did you have a question? Hi, everybody. Hey. Um, maybe a little twist on some of the things Angie was talking about and a little bit of a general thing that I've been kind of considering some of these questions in is not only looking at them um, kind of from a personal and as a self-reflection point of view, but I've spent some time looking at them from kind of our family point of view. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on everything from kind of like family values to family rhythms um, and whether it's worthwhile including, you know, other people in your family in some of these discussions. Uh, I'm in Canada and we just found out our kids are not going back to school at all this school year. Our school year ends in June um, uh -huh. and then we'll go right through the summer and hopefully they go back um, in September. <laughs> but wow. for right now we have three more months of uh, kids at home um, and at least so, and our family's in kind of a unique situation um, we'd previously had the past year off of work. We had taken a sabbatical and had been in the middle of a round the world family trip when we <laughs> came home to, uh, back to Canada in the, at the end of March. So we were already in that mind frame of kind of re reframing things. So I think we have a real opportunity here as a family to do it. And I'm just curious if you kind of had any thoughts, um, on how, 
I can approach it like individually, I feel like this is great for me, but maybe to include family. And as people I hear are switching rhythms with their family as well, maybe it's relevant as too. Yeah, I think it's, um, you are in a really, a really unique position. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's brilliant that you've kind of, you, you've yeah. reflected on it, you can see that. And that is an opportunity there for, for you mm-hmm. to potentially lay foundations for living a different way going forward as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I find works for um for in our family is it's just having conversations about um like favorite we every dinner time we sit down and we talk about a highlight of the day or um we did a similar trip to you guys we traveled for almost 18 months as a family a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. and we'll often say you know random memory go and we kind of dig into something does it like always fascinated by what the kids will come up with but I find that we, we offer ourselves a lot of clues about what we want in life by the things that mm-hmm. we hold dear, like those memories that, hold, that we hold dear. Um, and I think that's a great place to start with the kids, like kind of talking about, I don't know, I mean, depending on how old are your kids? Uh, almost eight and 10. Okay. Oh, they're really similar ages to my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could even talk about, what like what an ideal day to them would look like you know and mm-hmm. kind of make it fun and have like a almost like a vision sort of a vision yeah. kind of <laughs> session where you sit down with them and talk about it and yeah. what i mean not because the kids are going to get to call the shots but because if you if you're looking to see what what's going to work for them it could be something in their day or one of their their favorite memories or a highlight for them is something that you wouldn't necessarily have um, picked up on and mm-hmm. um, like for for my kids it's like playing if there is time in the day to play together then they're happy and that's not like I'm not the playful parent out of, <laughs> out of our partnership I wish I was but I'm not so I would never make space for that um, you know and I think that that kind of having those kind of general conversations and choosing to choosing to zero in on one thing that together might really be a force for the for the four of you um, is to yeah I think that's a that's an interesting place to start mm-hmm. um, and perhaps when you're pulling your rhythm together um, you could draw from that you know and it doesn't have to be like an everyday thing but um, but kind of having an awareness of, of what it is that would make everyone in your family unit feel um, feel a part of yeah this this rhythm that you're creating yeah I mean just given that we're going to be spending every day together still for the (laughs) foreseeable future I think you know establishing some kind of daily rhythm which I mean we have to a certain point but it would be nice to do it a little bit more intentionally I think yeah um, so we all feel like we have a voice I think yeah I think that's really important particularly Mm -hmm. given like the next few months that you're you found yourself Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. quite unusual (laughs) set of circumstances Mm -hmm. Um, what Ben and I did when the kids first started like being at home all the time, so almost three months ago, um, we sat down. I actually asked the kids to write out a list of things that, um, you know, I gave them paper and texters and stuff and said, can you just like make me a list of things that you would like to do in your day and that you need mm-hmm. to do in your day? Um, and I left the delineation between those two things up to them. And it was really interesting to see what they came up with. And then we sat down one day and kind of took their lists in, 
right? We, we kind of took their list into consideration and also maybe the slightly more realistic lists of mine and Ben's. And we <laughs> came up with like a, it wasn't a rhythm so much, but it was a, here are things that need to happen in the day. And it was like, walk the dogs, connect with someone, spend time outside, play, um, cook, you know, help mum and dad, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were things that we'd like to happen. And we just made sure that we we took things out of both of those lists every day. Um, and it felt quite, it felt quite nice, actually, because mm-hmm. I mean, and particularly when you're on summer break, so they won't have school to worry about at all. Then. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be an opportunity to sort of pick things that, that each of you want to do and um, and add them into a into a rhythm. I mean, we actually made our kids um, a contract and they signed it, <laughs> which helped, it helped a lot while they were at school. Because they're like, hey, this is the agreement that we made, guys. Like, you agreed mm-hmm. that you'd do your school and then you could have some screen time and then you'd walk the dogs and all that sort of stuff. And we weren't regimented about it, but um, right. it was... A, to give them a voice, I think, and to give them um, mm-hmm. a sense of ownership of, of the way that Absolutely. they spend their time was really yeah. important and more important than I expected, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, that's yeah. a good idea. Thanks. Yeah, so um, I think it's like, it's quite a fluid, it, it's quite a fluid um, exercise to do, particularly if you're adding other people into it. Um, but really interesting, a really interesting way of, of seeing what it is that people uh, in your family, what lights them up, you know? And like I said, I was kind of surprised by some of the things I discovered, which was really cool. Yeah. And I think, I mean, some of the language I think that is used is, is good. And I find that that makes a big difference, um, often at work, but I can see it making a difference in a family, like with words like, okay, rhythms or, you know, right now, neither my husband and I are working, but we're both going back to work in the next month or so. And so, you know, we'll have more <laughs> balancing with that. And that's going to be really different for our kids to get used to. And yeah. I think just to have, you know, kind of some ground rules will be really useful. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, good luck though. I mean, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it, it can be daunting, but it's also kind of an exciting place to be because you're absolutely you're yeah. in a position to really start building something um, wonderful that's going to hold you guys in really great stead moving forward like beyond the weirdness of the next few months absolutely and I mean yeah. I mean that was the intention of taking the time in the first place so it's just sort of in this <laughs> slightly different twist right now but yeah. yeah no we're we're excited to to kind of do the work together as well so, that's yeah. so great that's really awesome mm-hmm. um, so Beck has just shared so I have an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old as well um, we've made two jars <laughs> full of post-it notes um, for things we want to do whilst in lockdown. The other jar is things we can't wait to do once restrictions are lifted. Um, and it's really nice to see the kids' input. I love that idea, Beck. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Hey. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Hello. Hi. Um, yeah, so I have an eight-year-old and 10-year-old, and um, I think the nice thing about that is it's just quite easy as a parent to get a bit stuck at the beginning of the day as to, okay, what are we going to do now? So I think it's just getting the input from them, um, and they just come up with the most random but beautiful things as well that you wouldn't really even consider, but it's just something that they want to do. So I think it's just that participation um, thing as to, okay, let's either pick one thing or let's pick a couple and, and you know, vote on it and see what we might want to do. 
I don't know where I heard the thing about the jar, about um, the things that uh, we're missing and can't wait to do, but I heard it somewhere and I thought, that's a really great idea. So um, we've done that. And that, that's a really lovely thing as well because it's, um, it's probably just done in the spirit of excitement as to, you know, once restrictions are, are starting to get lifted to hear anyway of um, the, the things that we're excited to do. And some of them are really, really small things that, again, um, it's probably also seeing that gratitude come out with the kids as to the small things that they're missing. Um, some of them are, are much bigger, but it's, um, it's just really nice to hear their input and probably not make assumptions as to what they may be missing or what they want to do. So it's just been a nice family, um, I suppose, collaborative thing to do. Yeah, and I love you just give you give them a voice as well. You know, um, kids are really resilient, but this has also been really weird for them too. So to yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, we just have the post-it notes and the jar together. So, yeah, you know, it's nice just when I'm sort of, you know, walking past, making a cup or something, and then there's the kid, you know, see one of the kids, you know, folding it up and popping it in. <laughs> so it's nice that if they, they just randomly um, think of things and then go to the jar and put it in. So uh, that's been quite nice as well. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. It's just, it's like you're physically holding space for the things that are important to them and the things yeah. that they miss. And that, like, that, that matters, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's a really lovely idea. Um, have, are you still in lockdown? Um, I'm up in Cairns, so it's, we're, we're pretty lax up here, I should say. But, um, yeah, so kids will be back at school on Monday. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, like you said, there's, there's things I'm excited about, but there's definitely a sense of loss about that as well. You know, I'm really um, just really enjoyed those special moments, I suppose, of connection, eating all meals together. Um, so there's definitely some, um, you know, some benefits that, that I and I think all of us have found that it's this strange transition when it comes towards Monday. I don't really know what that's going to necessarily feel like. So it's, it's, it's mixed emotions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's... Yeah, I'm, I'm not not delighted that the kids are going back to school on Monday, <laughs> but also I'm, um, I'm like going to miss them a lot, you know, and miss that, that sense of spaciousness. So, I, and for me, that's the question that I'm carrying through. I don't have any answers at the moment, but it's like, how can we continue to create opportunities for that sense of spaciousness going forward? Um, and the kids have already said that there's there's um, a couple of activities, like after school activities that they don't want to keep doing. I'm like, awesome, great, that's one way of doing it, you know. And, uh, but similarly for Ben and I, you know, do we, like, do we need to be adding all of these things to our plate? Um, and what would it look like if we tried um, at least some days to keep our work hours in the kids' school hours? And, you know, what would, what would we add in if we had that, that time? Yeah. Um, you know, and also, I don't know about anyone else, but... For me, having weekends where the whole weekend you couldn't do anything, you couldn't go anywhere. I, I miss seeing my family and friends, of course, but like I also really loved that there was two empty squares on the calendar every week. Um, and I think we sort of forget that the weekend, that's what the weekend can often be to us, is like an opportunity to completely recalibrate. Um, so it's sort of asking how do we create the opportunity for that to be more regular you know it's probably not realistic to say that every weekend is going to be completely free from now on um but like how do we make it something that we can we can do at least some of the time and enjoy it in the ways that we have you know not not berate ourselves for 
stopping on a Saturday afternoon and watching a movie together. Like that's important. That's the stuff that kids talk about. Um, yeah, and sort of just shifting our, our perspective on productivity and, and all of that kind of stuff too. But yeah, um, I really like that idea. Thank you, Beck. Um, now, Laura had. Um, okay, so the question with the homework, okay, so in the homework sheets, I use the phrase, may I, like, may I be patient, may I be compassionate, may I be um, kind, um, and why I use that instead of just saying, just, you know, be patient, be kind, be strong. Um, it's not necessarily, for me, it's a, uh, there's no like, scientific reason why I decided to use the may other than it, um, for me, it felt invitational to say, may I be compassionate? May I extend the same kindness to myself as I would to my friends? Um, and it feels also possible. Whereas, um, and I think it's just a personal preference, to be honest. If, if you feel like using a more direct, um, more direct language would help and just say, choose, choose kindness, choose compassion, choose, then, you know, by all means, wiggle things around until they make sense. Because um, I, for me, I think it probably comes from the fact that like self-compassion practice does not come naturally. You know, my tendency is to shift to um, like blame and berating and, you know, like listening too much to that snarky inner critic that um, I know most of us have. And I think that the idea of may I just makes it sound like it's something that I could do, you know, even if for a moment, may I practice at being. Um, yeah, so I think go with whatever phrasing works for you. And I think the, the beauty of, of all of that is, is really it's, um, it's an experiment and there, there will undoubtedly be phrases and, and exercises and observations that fall flat for you because of language or because you don't need it right now, you're not in that season that's okay. You know, it doesn't need, it's not prescriptive. It's, um, yeah, I guess a matter of finding wording that, that works for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, does that make sense, Laura? Okay, cool. Um, just want to make sure I'm not missing anyone. So Jess, I saw that you were still, you're stuck on values and can we come back to that? <laughs> or do you want to talk about it now? Um, I mean, sure. I, I kind of said that um, in response to when Angie had mentioned that she was stuck on the okay. um, rhythms. So I'm still trying to move forward. Like I've, I've begun the other activities too, but I feel like I am still working through that, the values also. And for the first few weeks, I really made myself be internal about it. But my, a lot of my personality types labeled me as a one who polls other people. So then I began to pull in some key people and say, okay, from the outside, like, what would you say? Um, but it's interesting because we're actually, for work last Friday, our COO said, I have an activity for everyone. We're doing this Brene Brown, like everyone choose your values and we're going to discuss them next Friday, which is tomorrow. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and it was like literally 60 values on a piece of paper with not nearly as many questions. So it was like, I appreciate, I don't know how people could do it without the guiding questions. Yeah. I would think that I'd be like, oh, I already know this. Like, I don't have to think about it anymore. And I still have been dwelling on it. And I think it's helped me hone in. But it, I think she's, like I said, 
it says your personal and professional values are the same, which even after spending all this time on this, I'm still like, are they? Yeah. And I'm a little conflicted even because tomorrow we can only say two to our company. And the ones that I have at the top of my list as of right now are nature and health. And I work for a tech company. <laughs> Granted, I farmed for, and I'm a dietitian also, but like that is what I work in now. And I'm like, they're going to like fire me because I'm like, my values have like nothing to do with my job. But oh well. <laughs> I mean, but it could, it could also present them with an opportunity, right? Like to, to question like where the alignment is and, and that, mm-hmm. could, that could actually strengthen the work that you do. Totally. Um, and I know that they know that about me. Like they knew that when they reached out to me for the position, I was like, do you realize what you're asking me to work? <laughs> like what type of company, but it's, it's in co-working. So there's a lot of connection, even though it's remote. Um, there's actually been a lot of overlap in everything I've been doing right now, being at home, but working for a company that promotes connection and um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, that's going to be really interesting. Um process I guess and how's the timing <laughs> I know I like can't even get over how many because I was doing this simultaneously with well like I still am working full-time and then I was also doing a a course I'd signed up so I'd signed up for this before COVID happened and then I also signed up for an online continuing ed course in distributed like remote work management like how to manage a team remotely and I had signed up for that before this happened and the alignment of even topics, like even the remote management course got into values and um, it's been an interesting thing, but I do feel like I'm still stuck on that. And this week was a really great topic, but I almost feel like I didn't, I haven't dived in completely yet. Like I would like to. <laughs> That's, I mean, and the beauty of the topic is that it's all about self-compassion and it's okay. I know. <laughs> if you're not, if you're not there right now, mm-hmm. like that's okay you know, it's completely okay. Um, but also I, I think that um, some, our tendency can be to, to want to like lock down our values perfectly and to be like, this is a perfect fit. And I have that sense of, you know, right heartedness about it, um, which is great if you, if you have it or if you have it about some of them, but you don't, you don't need to wait until you have things perfect before you can move forward. You can kind of have more of a nebulous idea um, around what, your values look and feel like and carry that around and what you'll probably find is as you do more learning as you do more questioning and um, experimentation that that becomes more defined over time you know and like I find that mine mine still shift in terms of the words that I use to describe them or what they look like in my daily life um, so I mean take all the time you need obviously to, to dig into your values uh, but if you feel like you're waiting for you like to nail it before you move on don't feel like that's something that you need to do um because it's kind of a bit of a dance I think yeah for sure and that's that is helpful and I do I am still hung up a little bit on do personal and professional values are they the same and in in some ways I think they are but now that I'm working this job that I do feel like is a good job and I do enjoy it but it's not I'm not farming full-time, I do get conflicted about if, sorry, there's literally like a motorcycle rally going on down in my town right now, so I don't know if you hear that, but um, yes, it is, I'm still not sure if they, if I'm not working in the right thing because they don't align or if there is some given that too. Like, Yeah, and it's a really interesting question. I know Jackie Carr um, talks about having two sets of values, um, one professionally and one personally. I, they'll often be overlap. 
Um, but then I know other people who would swear by having just a single set that they that they use to, um, you know, to align themselves in their work. And I guess the other thing is that our work is not always going to be our purpose. Um, perhaps we can view our work as an opportunity um, to support our purpose or to support our values in life. You know, they don't. It doesn't always need to be like perfectly aligned. Some people really successfully and happily look at their work as a tool by which they can support themselves to live in alignment with their values. And that's another really important thing, I think, for us all to keep in mind, because I know the conversation around like purpose led, um, you know, work and values and all of that is like, what's the ideal, you know, can I be the new Brene Brown and, you know, like lead the world through, like, that's, that's not a thing that we're all going to be able to do. Um, and it's not a thing that we all want to do either. So I think that our work doesn't always necessarily need to be like the pinnacle of our values. Um, it could just be a tool that lets you live in alignment in, in all the other ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And that's actually really helpful to like have reaffirmed. Um, sometimes working in my passion as much as I wanted it to work, I felt like it was I mean, it was a lot of work. And at the end of the day, I was never making ends meet. And so I'm like, oh, if I can only use my work to cr create this life that I want on the side, that's also not a bad thing. Totally. Because, I mean, the way you live is, um, is so important. Like, the way that we live um, as individuals is, like, it's a signpost for our values. And if you're living in a particular way and able to do that more comfortably and more, like, wholeheartedly because of the job that you have, that's completely in alignment with your values, you know, and you become this walking example of your values. Uh, yeah, I think that we have this, like society has this very black and white notion of like living purposefully and everything needs to be like in that bucket all the time. And it's just not, it's not possible, you know. Um, so I think that, that that's, I hope, hopefully that does help because, I, you know, um, yeah it's it's important to remember and otherwise we we i think we have really incredibly high like un, unrealistically high expectations of what living in alignment will look and feel like um, and that's not helpful to carry around either yeah thank you no that's awesome thank you that was i'm really glad you brought that up um and Brittany and um, i'm a nanny to five-year-old and two-year-old twins. At the beginning of each day together, I always ask the five-year-old what he wants to do today. Sometimes he has great answers, play outside, go for a walk. And sometimes he might respond, watch Paddington three times <laughs> or play in the basement all day. The days when we do what he feels, he's on cloud nine. And other days I use it as a life lesson why we can't watch six hours of TV or spend the whole day in the basement um, when it's beautiful outside. I love that. That's really, but I think that's, um, like that's resilience building right there. That's emotional resilience. Um, my kids have been um, doing a nature school, like a wilderness school, one day a week. And the first thing that the leader of the school um, did with them was ask all of the kids at the wilderness school to sit down on their first day and they take the vow of disappointment. And the vow of disappointment essentially is warning the kids that there will be days because it's it's like it's a group led sort of experience and they sit down and like what would everyone like to do today we can do archery we can whittle we can keep working on the log cabin we can 
go looking for frogs in the river or whatever. Um, but it's sort of majority rules. And there will be days where the kids want to sit down by the fire and make bread or whittle and everyone else wants to do something else and they need to go with the majority. And like, that's disappointment. And they, he said, they don't have to take the vow. That's completely fine. But if they don't take the vow, they don't get to do any of the exercise, any of the activities at all. Um, and it's been really great for my kids, both of them actually, they're 11 and nine. Um, and just that continual learning that, um, like my mum used to say to me, the world doesn't revolve around you. Uh, and I think it's really important. You know, sometimes it's wonderful for the kids to be able to do, like to call the shots and have ownership of the, the, the way they spend their time. Um, but then they also need to recognise that they are one person and they, they don't live in a vacuum, you know. Um, and if they did, they'd be really unhappy anyway. So I love that, that you're, like, you're actively teaching the kids that um, from such a young age. They're lucky to have you. Um, so Cheryl said, um, so there was no pressure to have my weekend plans be something that was impressive enough to talk about. Um, so Cheryl, was that in relation to like having our weekend sort of stretched out? Yeah, did you want to talk about how you're feeling? Um, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm an introvert and uh, my, my February was quite, quite busy and hectic. My, my dad passed away. So, um, and then there was a lot of things with my mom. And um, so when things got shut down in March because of COVID, um, it was actually kind of a relief for me because there was no pressure to go and do this and do that. And, um, um, and it's really like one of the things that, that sort of come for me out of um, doing this experience with, with you is uh, it's put me in a place where I think I need to start thinking about will my days look the same as they did before, my weekends in particular, um, where you know, I'm jamming four different activities into a day. And I'm a, my, my children are grown, so they don't, <laughs> it's not about kids. It's about what I'm choosing to put in. Um, and, and, you know, certainly the looking at uh, the values piece and, um, and I, I did talk about it before, like uh, one of my values is connection, but one of the other ones, one of the tools is solitude. And, so, so making my connections meaningful and, um, and not just doing them for the sake of doing them, but, but, but making it mean something. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, but I was talking to somebody else about that too. There's, I think there's a, a pressure as we just had Victoria day here, um, this past weekend and historically, I would have had to come up with something on Tuesday that was good enough to talk about, you know, so no pressure this time. There was nothing going on. So, yeah. And it's, um, I, we have a, a cultural difficulty with the idea of quiet, you know, and, and almost idleness. Like I'm writing about the idea of idleness in my book at the moment and the roadblocks that keep coming up about, you know, the idea of literally sitting and, and, and spending a moment in nothing, in just letting our thoughts do it. Like, we're not meditating, we're not, mind, we're not being mindful, we're just literally 
sitting. Um, and I've spoken to so many people about it and they're like, I don't really do idleness. I prefer to potter around or, you know, we've got to still be productive. We've got to turn it into like a to-do or something that has even the smallest bit of status or impressiveness attached to it. So it's really interesting that like you, you said the word impressive because, um, you know, I think that there's so much pressure that we feel to like turn up and have a story and have like a thing that we did rather than, yeah, I just hung out at home. It was great. <laughs> well, and that was one of the struggles this weekend and, and some of my self-compassion writing that I'm doing, I've, I've gotten to the, you know, the, the defective character part, but not my friend's response was about, so I very consciously made sure I had everything done on Sunday so that I could spend or uh, Saturday, I mean, so that I could spend Sunday and Monday just reading or just watching TV or just taking walks. Um, and Sunday kind of went okay. We, we did groceries though. So Monday came and I was tired and I didn't want to do anything, but there was this, this guilt. Um, you know, I should be doing something and, and, you know, choosing to go back to bed or choosing to read in bed all day that's really not a thing i should be doing so mm -hmm. i didn't quite finish the writing on that but i think i have to because that's a huge one for me that it's not okay to to take a whole day and do nothing yeah and i mean i think there's a sense of um like what we do and don't deserve like attached to that too you know like i if i, I i'm not i'm I haven't done enough in order to deserve to like, to to stop. And uh, we'll never we'll never finish our to do list. Like we'll never be done. It's not like if we just work our butts off for the next year and a half, then we get to the end. <laughs> We're like, I'm done. Now I can stop and rest. Like yeah. there's always something else, you know. And that's not meant to be um, like a depressing thing. It's just that's life. Life is the fact that we do have things that that need to be done, but we also have an the flip side of that need, which is the need to rest. And we just, we ignore it to our detriment so often uh, and tie it up with like all of these caveats, like I'll rest when, you know, when I've done this and when I've done that. And like you needed to get everything done on, on Saturday so that your Sunday and Monday, you could feel okay about resting. And even then it was a challenge. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're, very un, we're very unkind to ourselves in that way. You know, and I think that um, I imagine that for a lot of us, just with that self-compassion writing, like there'd be a lot of that idea of enoughness and not good enough. And, um, and I think that for, I, I, it's my theory anyway, that a lot of why we rush and why we consume and why we collect and why we do all of the things that we do in this fast paced, like consumer driven life is to try and fill that hole of like enoughness. You know, if only I could do this and look like this and achieve that, and then I'll be then I'll be enough, and then I can stop. But like society doesn't benefit when we feel like we're enough. You know, there are entire industries that benefit enormously by all of us feeling like we're just slightly not good enough. Um, and I think that there is like a rebelliousness to doing the, the the thinking that you're doing and doing the writing that you're doing. You're starting to really question like am I going to keep playing this game or am I going to step out and make my own rules about what is enough? Yeah. 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 So. yeah. It's, um, 
But it's hard. I mean, when every message is set up to make us feel like that, um, that kind of quest of white ant, our, our self-esteem and our sense of enoughness, uh, it, like you've got to be kind of on the lookout for every opportunity to, to tell yourself that, no, I am enough, you know. Yeah, and I think this is where I kind of come to a point of tension with the whole self-care industry too. Um, self-care movement, I'm all for, but the self-care industry and all the products and everything that is sort of um, sold to us to fix us, it, like by fixing us, it's telling us that we're broken in some capacity. Um, and I think that that's a really uh, damaging thing to internalize as well, that there's something wrong with us uh, that needs to be made right before we can deserve to, to stop or, um, yeah, you've just tapped into something that I'm thinking a lot on, so sorry. <laughs> and you, well, you talked a bit about that too, like just sort of growth, because there's a difference between wanting to grow, continue to grow and learn and not being good enough or being broken or whatever. Um, and, it, and it's a very fine distinction, right? So, um, and, and that's, that's something I think a bit about too. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's about tilting, right? It's about, it's about finding that, that balance between, um, making it be be making that growth be about being wrong or not good enough and and making it be well something of to be awesome and and joyful and and having curiosity about exactly yeah so learning is entirely different you know and i think that that's why i would never kind of nominate particular ideas or exercises or programs or anything that that are problematic it's um yeah, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel better or to feel supported. And that looks different for everyone. But I think that when the messaging is getting you in that vulnerable place of like, I'm a bit broken and this will fix me and then I'll be better and then I'll deserve things. That's, yeah. that's yeah. a problem. You know, it's, um, it, but if you're doing it because you're curious, because you're experimenting or because, you know, you want to feel supported and this is a way to do that. Um, again, self-supported and self-cared for uh, then like go for it so yeah but I think being aware of the two like the two sides of that coin is is probably all you need to do and just kind of question am I doing this because I think I'm broken and this will fix me or am I doing it because I want to I'm curious or yeah um but yeah it's yeah I, I really I there's something really powerful in that word that you used before like impressive you know like that we um, that we're striving to do in order to to kind of appear impressive enough for whoever it is that we're talking to, friends or family. Um, and again, I think being aware of it and doing work like we're doing this week and starting to journal it and just kind of work out what we're thinking and, and why we think it and, and where it's come from is really powerful. Um, like this <laughs> this week, uh, no, it was last week actually. I made a phone call to a person who's like a new friend and I don't do like, I'm really get really nervous with new friendships. Um, and I called her with all good intention, like just to connect and see how she was. And it was obviously just a terrible time to call her, but I, I, I didn't know that. Um, and she's like, can I talk to you later? And hung up. <clears throat> and I spent the next six hours berating myself, you know, for like doing the wrong thing or, 
um, really kind of messing up her day or like it was completely irrational. And what I used to do, I would sit with that shame and that like self-anger for days or weeks. And what I did instead was sit down and I wrote it out. Like I wrote out why I was feeling the way I was and where that had come from and why I, I get so nervous when it comes to new friendships and why I was contacting her with all good intentions and it was just poor timing and all that. And it took me about half an hour to to write it out and to kind of, and it was awkward. Like I was the only person who was ever going to read it and it still stung to write that out. Um, but at the end, I had this great sense of understanding where I was coming from. And because I knew where I was coming from, I could be compassionate to myself and say, none of this was uh, your fault. None of it was malicious. None of it was... Um, done with anything other than the best of intentions uh, and I, like I let it go and it's the first time I think in a long time that I've been able to just like work process something like that um, and it made me realize that it's incredibly powerful um, and as you were talking about how you were kind of working through the writing and taking your time doing it I think that's brilliant because it's such a, a powerful tool yeah so. yeah and and that idea of looking at it like you were just talking about with that story and looking at it and looking at the why of it yes so it's not it, it sort of changes it from being a bad thing to okay what is this about like why and then and then it changes the whole focus right exactly yeah and it's that why you know it's really kind of digging in so why was that my first response okay and why is that you know the way that i choose to respond to these things and like, what am I, what, like, what is my, what is my end goal here when, you know, it really was just a, I guess, an excavation of, of my reaction. Um, and you kind of lay it out on a page and it's truly, I really recommend anyone who finds themselves in a situation like that, or really kind of going over and over the same thing to, to really get a bit honest on a piece of paper and, and say, and you can burn it at the end. It's fine. Like no one needs to see it, but it's just, processing these these stories we tell ourselves um and i can't think of much more that is um that that like to me that that felt like the ultimate in self-compassion it just sort of took the judgment away um and was curious and kind of yeah probing gently into why i felt the way i felt um yeah so i'll be curious to see how your your writing goes for the next few days and weeks, Cheryl, as well. Well, I'm hoping it'll take that away so yeah. I can, next Sunday I can be in bed at one and it'll be fine. <laughs> like report back, come and report back and tell me how your Sunday afternoon was. I'm very much looking forward to hearing about it. <laughs> yeah. You're allowed to. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's what my partner said, but I didn't quite believe him. I know. And we don't, do we? Until until we can believe it ourselves, we, we won't truly believe it from someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, keep telling yourself, you'll you'll listen. You will. And you'll enjoy that. That'll be so wonderful. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um so okay, so Susan said that she feels very very much the same way, actually, Cheryl, as you. I give myself 30 minutes of reading in bed because I also want to do other things, but maybe a limit will feel less guilty. And we do that, don't we? You know, we're like, we, we kind of contain our, we contain the way that we um, care for ourselves into what feels 
acceptable, you know, rather than what feels like it's filling us up. Um, yeah, it's, I think keep, keep pushing back on it, you know, keep pushing back on that idea of, of, um, of guilt and, and questioning why do I feel so guilty? And I mean, there will always be other things to do, always. Um, even if we prepare ourselves ahead of time for taking that time off, there will always be something that we think we should be doing. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult one to un, undo. But um, have you been thinking about that at all, Susan, this week? Hang on, sorry. There we go. There we are. Hey. Um, have I been thinking about what? Have you been thinking about the that sense of guilt and you know um, only allowing yourself a certain set amount of, of time? Um, yes. Yeah. For sure. And I've been playing with those boundaries and like Cheryl, I mean, I might want to. And and it's not like me to go back to bed. I'm I'm a doer. I like to have a list. I like to check things off. You know, I'm one of those kind of people. <laughs> So it's really hard for me to want to just go back to bed and read. But um, I'm, I'm finding that I'm trying to play with those boundaries a little bit where, you know, I'll say, okay, I just want to go back to bed for 30 minutes and read. And actually I find um, I, I'm pretty content with that. I feel like I've been true to myself. I feel like I stood up for myself in wanting to do that and be so bold as to just do it, just go back into bed and just do it. I mean, for me, that's feeling very bold um, in my life to put myself first and do that. And, and then I also feel like I can kind of um, balance for sake of any other word, but kind of balance the rest of my day. And, and I feel good about it because I, I feel like I took time for myself um, and, and I feel like I've nurtured myself, you know, I feel that that works for me. Yeah. I don't think I really wanted to stay in bed all day because I might have felt frustrated. Um, but if I just kind of play with those boundaries, that has been helpful. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to recognize as well. Like meet yourself where you are, you know, you don't, you don't need to expand it into like something that's not going to work for you. It's sort of recognizing the way you enjoy doing things and the way that you mm -hmm. enjoy structuring your weekends or your days or, or whatever, but then kind of get playful with it and say, well, what would happen if I just expanded this by 10 minutes or what would happen if instead of, you know, reading what if I allowed myself to just lay on my bed and watch, you know, the sun slowly move across the ceiling and like just kind of play around with what it means and, and how you feel and, and why, like there's no right or wrong answer. I think that, uh, the, the kind of key is to explore, um, explore the boundaries, as you said, and explore the way that you feel within them and when you kind of gently push them out a little. Um, and you'll feel... Yeah, and I, Sorry. And I find that it happens more often that I will do that, that um, I had an hour this afternoon in between an appointment and in between something else. And I said, you know what, I'm going to sit on our deck and just, just read, yeah. you know? And so I gave myself the hour to read. I could have gotten several other things done, but um, I chose that. And I'm, 
you know, a lot of that was inspired from this week, but I've also been kind of playing with those boundaries a bit. Awesome. And I'm finding that it happens more often when I give myself that space. And what do you find um, is like the flow on effect through the rest of your day when you give yourself that space? Ugh, I, I felt like I had more time today. I felt like I could focus better on the things I was doing because I wasn't doing that inner dialogue of feeling frustrated that another day came and went and I didn't take that time. You know, I really wanted to do I really want to take a walk or I really wanted to get out or I really wanted, you know, I'm finding that I'm spending a lot less time feeling frustrated. Um, and I didn't realize I was feeling that frustrated, but, but when I'm starting to kind of meet myself where I'm at and meet those needs, I'm feeling more peaceful um, in, a, in a way that I, I didn't really realize that I wasn't <laughs> feeling mm-hmm. that way. So it it flows. Yeah. I mean, my day has a better flow to it. I think that that like that realization is probably the thing that will kind of more permanently shift your behavior Mm -hmm. and like shift you towards honoring those boundaries even more because like we're very good at convincing ourselves that we don't have time to take Mm -hmm. that time. Um, And some days it will really feel like we really don't have that time. But what happens, and I find it interesting, given the conversation we've been having about time today, is that it shifts time for us. Like you stop and you take that time and you you relish in it. You know, you you use it to rest and recalibrate. And then the entire rest of your day or your week looks and feels different. You know, and the impact of some of these changes and some of these exercises like they're not momentary, like they don't just last for an hour. Some of these, the impacts of, of taking this time or going for a walk or spending a bit of time in nature or having a bit of downtime or, um, you know, idle time, it can impact our mental health and our well-being for weeks and months. So, you know, I think that recognising that and using it as your, your reason and your, you know, the, the thing you stand to gain by taking that time is, is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it feels empowering. Like I said, it feels like I stood up for myself. And instead of just trying to figure out where I can squeeze in that 20 minutes or 30 minutes during the day, I find that if I just do it, and I just kind of plow through that emotional part, and just do it, that it really does kind of shift the time and how it feels. And it... um, yeah, I mean, for some reason, it almost feels like I have more time in my day when I take a little bit of time for myself. It's it's a weird kind of time shifter. Yeah, it is. And kind of going back to what we were talking about with Angie earlier is like you've, you've kind of re, you've, um, reset your brain or rebooted it to yeah. shift back into that like um, abundance mode almost. You know, by taking time, you are saying there is time to take for me. And that shifts you out of scarcity where we operate out of fear and like, you know, hectic, frantic kind of grabbing and grasping. And we shift into that abundance mode where there is time and there is space because I've made it. And then everything feels different. Yep. And I think that single focus of either just concentrating on the walk and not listening to a podcast or not listening to the news, just being really single focused. I've really been practicing with that. And I I do think it, um, it does really, shift things in a very positive way yeah yeah i mean 
the neuroscience behind it is is really fascinating to me because that's like let's say you go for a walk um, and you you're not listening to anything you're just allowing your thoughts to do what they do we shift i think i was talking about it last week into a completely different mode of thinking um and that's where perhaps we don't even realize we're doing it but we're connecting dots between disparate ideas and thoughts and we might come up with a solution for something that's not why we do it but it's our brain needs to be able to have that time in which to draw conclusions and to they uh what do they call it it's when we do like um self uh like autobiographical thinking so we start to think about our past and our future and our goals and um that can't happen when we're constantly doing um we we just we don't really allow ourselves time for self-reflection um Mm -hmm. kind of self-knowledge if we're constantly on the go so even though that's not why we do it we do it because it feels good and we all need it there is something else really powerful at play which could be why your perception of time is also changing um as a result yeah it it um, allows me to be single focused when I need to be, or even be multitasking better because I feel like my mind has more clarity to it. It's not bogged down in those things that constantly, just constantly churn. You know, they, um, I think if I give my brain space to just churn (laughs) and work through all those things I was thinking of, then it allows me to be more clear for the rest of the day. Exactly. Yeah. And as I like that you said it kind of it helps you to multitask better because in an ideal world maybe we could do everything single like single-mindedly, but that's not the world that anyone I know lives right. in. There are times where you will be absolutely multitasking. But if you can do that through like the lens of intention and having that space and kind of having recalibrated, it's a totally different experience to one of mm-hmm frantic you know yeah that frantic rush. often yeah yeah just feeling that rush and frantic and constantly checking the clock and constantly yeah. checking the time and getting up against those deadlines is is just exhausting so um i i do find it rejuvenating yeah can i throw out one other thing that i've been thinking about is i look at the other women who we have um you know who i'm who i'm looking at on this call I think we all can relate to this self-compassion and the judgment and all that guilt and everything. I'm curious, we all come from around the world. Where does this come from? Can we do anything as parents to inspire our kids? Um, Or is it a daughter thing? Is it like a woman thing that we are just wired to, to do, do, do and not have as much self-compassion? Like where does this come from? Um, we've all been raised differently. We've all come from different parts of the world, but we have this in common. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I don't know where it comes from, historically speaking. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that, like, women have always been put in that position of, like, the doer and the caregiver and, you know, the sacrifice, like, the, the one who's going to sacrifice her own needs for the needs of others. Um, and that's like a generation upon generation sort of thing that we've been taught. I know it was like, I never saw my mum take time out. Um, and I'm one of four girls. So we kind of all took that, that idea almost of like martyrdom into adulthood. And it's taking some really distinct unlearning of that for me to ensure that 
I don't pass it on to my kids. And like, I'm, I'm not there. I don't think anyone will ever be there in terms of like nailing it because the messaging we also get, um, particularly as women, I think from media and advertising and stuff is like as a busy mom and, you know, we all know that life is frantic and overwhelming and like that's, that's where we're told we should be because mm-hmm. if we're living in that space of being overwhelmed and frantic, then I've got a product that's going to help you, you know, and there's some semblance of success attached to being overwhelmed and being busy and we kind of, well, there is definitely a shift happening um, sort of subculturally, I think, away from using busyness as a badge of honour, but on the whole, that is sort of the, the messaging that we're still receiving. Like you hustle and you have a side gig and you do all of these other things because that's the way you're going to get ahead and that's the way you, mm-hmm. you're going to be uh, impressive, to use Cheryl's word again. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking to see what other people have, have sort of shared. Um, Cheryl said that I think because we're doing this work, it will change things for our kids. Um, I hope so. You know, I think like like we we're talking about that sense of self-reflection uh, only comes when we slow down. And if we show our kids that that's, that's how you come to know yourself and kind of know why you do things and why you respond the way that you do, um, that like that's a really powerful example of what it looks like to be a um, someone who's who's like willing to, I guess, reflect and, and make changes and and try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, I'm just checking in on the chat. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know. Does anyone else have any ideas like as to why we land here um, as women in particular, but not always? Um, yeah, okay. So Angie said, amongst my year 12 daughter's cohort, they wear their staying up all night studying story as a badge of honour. Um, oh, you had two hours sleep. Well, I was literally up all night and that's still part of the story. Yeah. And it is, it is really sad, you know, that that is, I think, first of all, it's a reflection of like the expectations that we put on people are far too high. Um, you know, when, when, like, when are the kids, at some point they internalize that message, right? That that's what they need to be doing. And then when they are given a workload that (laughs) seems to fit with that, with that kind of story, it's like, well, this is obviously what the world expects of me. Um, yeah, I, I think it's got to be a really conscious effort on our part as adults to start exemplifying what it looks like to take time, what it looks like to say, uh, what are you doing, mum? Oh, nothing. I'm just sitting here thinking and not like say it's something else, you know, not say it's anything else. It's just, uh, it's okay to stop for half an hour on a Saturday afternoon and read a book. It's okay to just like, why are you sitting in the garden not doing anything? I don't know. Cause it's nice. Cause it feels good. Cause it makes means that I'll be nicer to you later. Um, you know? <laughs> um, I, yeah. And I think, as you said, Angie, this is um, where a new story of good enough fits in. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Like, what do you think, Susan? Yeah, I think role modeling is more important, certainly, than what we say, you know, especially for our daughters. I've got a 16-year-old daughter. And, um, 
with this remote learning, she has also, you know, she's doing great in school, but she's also been taking time lately to write. She loves to write. She's a good writer and she needs time to do that. So um, she's been taking time to do that. Um, she and I love to go mountain biking. So we'll go do that. Um, I think, I, I hope that I'm role modeling to her, but I mean, who knows really what's in a teenager's mind <laughs> and what they pick up. Um, I think I do, you know, healthy things. And then she might remember something that I did, you know, two months ago. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that was a moment of weakness. But I think it's, it's role modeling. I mean, I had a terrible role model, model for my mother who worked all the time and you know, always just working and doing and a martyr, you know, and she made us grow up feeling my sister and I made it made us feel pretty um, much like we couldn't do anything as good as she did. And oh, a whole lot of negative dialogue, yeah. you know, and that's been hard. And that becomes our inner voice, right? Um, it does. There's that, that inner voice. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the most powerful um, and really sobering pieces of parenting advice I ever got is the voice that we use with our children is the voice that will become their inner voice. Um, and that really, it, it, it's sobering, right? Because like, that's not always the voice that I would want in my kids' heads. So I think that no one's going to get even 80% of it right. Like, I always talk about the fact that my kids will at some point probably go to therapy and at some point we'll probably talk about the way that I screwed up. And that's fine. Like as long as it's not like, you know, super horrible stuff. If it's like my mom didn't do enough. Like, okay. Um, that's fine. No, but <laughs> there will undoubtedly be things that they will look back on and say, that was something that I wish was different. Um, that's because I'm a human being and they're human beings and they are not me. They're not an extension of me. They're their own person. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, we just need to be accepting of that fact. It's not a failing. It's just like what happens when humans bump up against each other for a long, long time. Um, but I, I do think that kind of thinking about that inner voice um, and that voice that we're using with our kids and the, the things that they're seeing us berate ourselves about um, is really important because that will be something that they internalize. Um, yep. And I mean, I, like the, the more common probably example at the moment is body image, right? I grew up like just <laughs> people who should have been role models in my family talking about other women's bodies and like talking about, yep weight loss and weight gain and all that kind of stuff and that just becomes the voice that you you know that that you internalize and I think again coming back to this idea of self-reflection it took a lot of time in my 20s for me to realize that I had internalized that and I didn't want that to be a voice that I used externally or internally um, you know and and taking steps to unlearn that and for me that was like removing those voices from my life um, mm -hmm. as much as I possibly could. So removing inputs and magazines and TV shows and all of these things that told me that, that you know, those voices of my past growing up were, were right. Um, and once they were gone, it became much easier to, to sort of reflect and, and relearn and unlearn the language that I was using. And I think that maybe this idea of enoughness could, be a, could follow a similar sort of trajectory. You know, first of all, identify those voices that we carry mm -hmm. around if it's from a real person and write about it. You know, you don't have to tell them, you don't have to show them. You can just 
write about it and write how it kind of messed, messed things up a bit in your head and, and made you kind of, I guess, question your worth and your value. Um, and then look at where that message was then solidified, whether it was media, whether it was other people in your life, whether it was, uh, you know, where you grew up or, or how you grew up or, or whatever the case may be, and just start to unpick it. Because I think once we do that, we become really attuned to when we're using that voice um, and when we're allowing it to kind of make us feel certain things. And with this self-reflection that we're learning how to do, that gives us sort of the awareness plus the self-reflection is an opportunity then to start creating boundaries and pushing them back and kind of not giving them as much air and not giving them as much space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know if, like, well, if that kind of goes deep enough into where this story comes from, but I think that there's things that we can do to, to start to not give it nearly as much airtime. Yes, I, I agree. Um, I also know that my husband and I have always tried to teach our kids to be critical thinkers um, we've got a 10 year old son as well. And we try to teach them to be critical thinkers. It's, it's hard to parent those critical thinkers sometimes yeah. because they will disagree and they will, um, you know, but what you put in, you get back out. Um, but you know, to, to maybe I, I see my daughter, she, um, struggles with body image, um, and eating and, has some issues around that. And as much as I've tried to be empowering and teach her to think critically and don't just, you know, be gullible and accept what people tell you, like, you know, don't, don't let that come in and get under your skin, push back on that. Is that really the truth? You know, is that really what you want to accept? Don't just blindly accept what other people say, whether that's social media or, you know, um, what a family member might say or a friend might say, and and she's pretty good about that. But yet, you know, all of that work that I've tried to have your own voice, be assertive, all of that encouragement, I feel like I'm still dealing with issues with her at 16 of, of not having a strong enough voice, you know, to push back or, or being afraid to kind of push boundaries. And so I'm so in, enlightened, I think, by it because I went through a tough time as a kid. Um, and I'm trying to put all this work into my daughter. But, but again, I, I don't think we're there yet. And I just don't know how to get through with that messaging and how to, um, you know, how to change that legacy. Mm. And you are changing it. You're already changing it. Mm-hmm. You're just like, you know, at the end of the story, yet you're still writing it, you know, mm-hmm. and- um, I have, I have no doubt that the fact that you're thinking about this so much and you're so passionate about giving her that voice and giving her that basis of, of being a critical thinker, she'll arrive there. Like I had a member in, um, of my family as well who went through sort of similar issues um, and her mum was, was, she found herself in the place that you are. She's like, this is not something... Um, that I feel like I'm, I'm kind of getting there with. And at, at some point she had to realize that, you know, when her daughter was 16, she's like, she's, she's equipped. She has the information and it's a matter of her finding her feet with that. Like you're giving her yes. everything that she needs and you are being that person that is not going to continue that legacy and that story and that, mm-hmm. um, that voice. 
but I think we can't do it for them. We can't make changes for people and they need to get there themselves. And when they do, because you've let them learn and, and arrive at that, that place by themselves, they, um, it sticks. You know, we can force people to make outward changes to a certain extent in their lives, but we can't actually force them to embody them, you know. Um, right. and I think that giving her the space to find that out and to um, work out where she pushes back and what that mm-hmm. feels and um, just allowing her that space to do it. I think you're, you're already changing that legacy like that. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I... Yeah. No, it's, it's tough though. Um, so, yeah. And as it relates to self-compassion, you know, and um, everything that goes around that taking time for yourself, you know, and really developing boundaries about your self-compassion, like, you know, reading on the deck, I'm going to, I'm going to put a boundary around that time. And so it's a lot about boundaries and things. And and I'm trying to role model on trying to talk to her and, you know, teach her. And it's just kind of an interesting, um, almost kind of a, I don't know. It's just interesting to me that it still feels like I'm swimming upstream on this, even though I've tried to create a safe environment, um, a safe place for her to fall. And yet I'm still tripping with this, you know, and feeling like I'm just in this vortex that I can't, you know, I can't swim against. Um, and, and I just wonder how much of this is just kind of innate. Um, is it just a, a cross we have to bear and we all have to develop our own grit with this? Um, is it societal? You know, it's just kind of, mm. I'd be really interested to, to know if anyone else, you know, has any thoughts on it too. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't have any answers, obviously. Mm-hmm. And my kids are younger than, than your daughter. Um, yeah, I think that allowing um, her to, to see you holding space for those boundaries of yours is really important. And they, what did they say? That they, kids won't remember what you taught them. They won't remember what you told them. They'll remember what you did and how it made them feel, you know. So what they're what she's seeing is someone who has developed your own set of boundaries and you're you're you know you're sticking with it and you what she's also seeing is that you're right there alongside her tripping mm-hmm. up and swimming upstream and making your way through all of this like 16 is a that's an age like I, it that is, is it's a tough age that's like yeah it's really tough um and she's doing it for the first time you know mm-hmm. Um, and you're parenting it for the first time. So mm-hmm. it's, you're, as long as you show her that you're there mm-hmm. and just keep showing her that you're there and, you know, have patience for yourself as well in it and compassion for yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so much easier said than done. I know. Yeah. Yeah. We, we also, I mean, on, on that personal note, we've also got a therapist, um, who she loves and is working well with and a nutritionist. So she does have some really good support with really strong women around her. And I show up for her when she needs it, but I know that I need to let her do some of this journey on her own too. So that was, that was basically mirroring where um, a member of my family ended up. Like it it was, Mm -hmm. I will, I will give you the tools. I will do everything in my capacity to allow you to access those tools. I will take you to your appointments. I will buy what you need. Like, you know what I mean? I will show up for you in the way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's what you're doing. But at some point it's like, 
here. Here is yes. I'm going to create this this safe space for you, but the decisions that you make within that safe space are yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether you take on board what the therapist is is offering, and whether you you know you try these exercises, and with like that's your decision to make. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course, uh, like learning the benefit of those things and seeing them in play will gradually build up like a um, a, a well or a reserve of um, of understanding like why you're there and why you're you're offering these tools and like, that's I think I think that's the only way to learn like you mm-hmm. do. I think so yeah. I mean yeah. they're still their own like you said I mean your kids you know all of our kids are their own people too and to be respectful for that and their own journey you know it's really tough love to to kind of sit and and witness mm. um how they have to go through their life. But, but I just even, you know, was wondering on a kind of more of a global kind of level. I, I know we got into my daughter in particular, but I mean, it's just crazy how, how, how all of us experience this. And is there anything else we can do to break that cycle? I mean, that, that was just something. Yeah. I'm just still curious about as is even a society, you know, is even a, a group of, I don't know, empowered women. Is there anything else we can do to be supportive of other women or younger generations with self-compassion? Yeah, I mean, open up to anyone, obviously, who, who has thoughts on that. Um, but I think, like, what we're doing now, having these conversations, everyone on this call realises and recognises that they're not alone, you know, whether or not the, the, um, the, the circumstances are the same or not everyone is everyone here is asking these questions and everyone here mm-hmm. is we're like prepared to show up and and dig in and do the work mm-hmm. um yeah and i just want to really um kind of mirror what Brittany ann said that you're an amazing mum. oh thank you your daughter is so lucky thank you <laughs> uh and i agree you know i think that the best thing we can do is to be vulnerable and to be honest and open. And I mean, obviously in this circumstance um, to be vulnerable with each other and to hold space for what we're going through, you know, it's, it's real and pretending like we've all got our crap together all the time is not doing (laughs) anyone any benefit. You know, I think it's really important to, to have these conversations in, in a way that feels supported uh, and that's something else that our, our kids can see and, the, you know, younger generations can see that you find strength by revealing your vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I know that, um, so Angie sort of shared that she, she that, that her daughter struggles um, similarly. And I like what you shared here, Angie. She said, I've applied the strategy. I've tried to apply the strategy of it takes a village to raise a child. Yes. Um, a support network around her professional and family as well so that she can hear voices other than mine because teenagers tend to not hear their mums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know about teenagers yet, but 11-year-olds tend to not hear their mums either. <laughs> Uh, so, but I think that's really important, you know, because that, that then really expands the network of people who care and people who are showing up 
for for our young kids, like for our kids, for our younger generations, for our friends, um, and for them to to be able to look and see that people are showing up for them um, is so important. It's really really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and Angie also said this is another reason because it's so difficult um, why we need to offer ourselves more compassion. Yes. Um, yeah, and. You know, I think that's right. Angie said, I think we need to keep using this new vocabulary out there in our respective circles. And I think that's really true, Angie. Like, um, talking about this stuff and and sharing some of the experiences that we're having, either like through the retreat or just in general in life, it gives other people permission, I think, to, to start reflecting themselves. And if there's a tool or an idea or... Um, a question or anything at all that that really resonates or that you think will resonate with people around you, um, I think that sharing is is important. Like for way too long, we have been told that we need to to have have our lives together all the time. You know, um, like that was that's where I was at when I was first diagnosed with postnatal depression. Was like, but if I tell everyone or tell anyone, let on at all that I'm struggling. Um, I'll be a failure, you know, because I look around and everyone else has got their shiny, happy faces on and everyone else's social media feeds are full of all of these wonderful things and everybody else seems to be doing fine. And what happened was when I told someone what I'd been going through and what I was going through um, within sort of five minutes of that conversation, they're like, oh, my sister was in the same situation and this is what helped her. And, that you, you know, you really, you can really build a network of people who are prepared to show up with open hearts. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important um, for us all to, to kind of develop that network of um, people who are willing to, to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm just going through the chat. Um, so I'm just going back to something that Yana said a little earlier, where I guess when we were talking about um, exemplifying um, behaviours for our kids, um, voices, like inner voices. Um, so this really makes me reflect on what kind of example I'm setting for my children. Um, homeschooling has had a, a lot of moments of franticness for my daughter, and it really took the joy out of her learning. But somehow I still got sucked into the checklists and all the things that she needed to finish. Uh, I'll definitely re-examine um, what example I give to my kids. And, and Jean said the same for me. Um, I've been thinking a lot of that, a lot um, with respect to my kids and what is enough for distance learning. Guys, can I just tell you, I was exactly the same. The first couple of weeks of distance learning, I'm like, I reverted back to that student, Brooke, who wanted to get the gold star and who wanted like the principal <laughs> What a great, what a great kid she was, and you know, like someone that my parents would be proud of because I was like just productive and industrious. Um, fine, like it's fine to be productive and industrious, but the reason I was doing it was because I wanted that validation, not because it, any of it was good for me. And I was applying that to the kids' distance learning, um, and that within the like the first week was rough, really rough. And I spoke to both of our kids' teachers and said, look, just to let you know. Um, we're prioritizing reading and maths and mental health <laughs> and uh, took all of the um, all of the, the stress out of the equation because uh, you know I know that at least in Australia there's a lot of talk about the gap you know the, the like the, the kids were going to fall behind um, and 
I think that was an unfair amount of pressure to put on parents who were thrown into completely bizarre circumstances. But no one was talking about the fact that if the kids are stressed out of their brain trying to get all this stuff done, they're not going to absorb the things that they were even meant to be learning anyway. Um, and the, to the kids' schools, um, like benefit, they, 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 they all said, absolutely, you know, that's completely fine. But it was really interesting to see how my kids had, or particularly my daughter, had already absorbed my, like, there's a deadline, I need to have it done. And, you know, what if I don't get this thing done? And my teacher will be mad at me. And, uh, and it, was, it was really, it really shook me up because I realised that a lot of that, that frantic deadline kind of driven um, characteristics of, of myself that I'd been trying to unlearn, like I still had some ways to go. So it's, um, it, I mean, it's, an un, it's not what I would necessarily call like a traditional silver lining, but I feel like having the opportunity to rethink the way that um, like the language that I use and like the have tos and the shoulds and all of that sort of stuff with the kids is, has been really important too over the last couple of months of just sort of removing that and looking at ways to have like openness and, and fluidity in, in the way that they view things, um, like make, make things more open-ended. Um, yeah, but it's, I just wanted to share that with you because you're not alone in, in that. Um, and it, you don't feel bad about where you find yourself because you're reflecting on it now. Um, and I think it's an opportunity to, to start making those changes in the way that we speak to ourselves as well as our kids. Um, so Laura just sort of highlighted, oh, this is a really good point actually, Laura. Um, so kind of going back to your point, Susan, about where does some of this messaging of, of not enoughness come from or um, Laura said in Australia, we have a show called Media Watch and then there's a series of shows called The Gruen Shows and they basically pick holes in marketing messages. Um, and she said, I love it when we can get my boys to watch so that they can see how Western marketing manipulates us. Um, and, the, and her kids now criticise mainstream advertising, which is awesome. Um, but I think, again, that's like a set of tools that you're giving your kids to um, add to that critical thinking toolbox. You know, it, it's a, a, an opportunity for them to see things through a different lens, like through a lens of um, like scepticism almost, particularly when it comes to who's benefiting from selling me this thing and why, and, you know, why do I all of a sudden feel like I need it, even though five minutes ago I didn't know it existed. Um, and I think that that's, that's great. You know, anything that you can do to, to kind of arm your kids with that, with those, with that curiosity, I think is really important uh, because it will also help in terms of social media and that sort of stuff too. Like, uh, why am I all of a sudden addicted to this new app and, you know, who's benefiting from it and um, all of these advertisers, how much are they getting from my attention? And, you know, it's, I think anything that you can do to, to create that is, is brilliant. Um, so Yana also just shared uh, a little more about um, her daughter and, you know, self-esteem self -esteem and self-image and it is scary, you know. Um, so our daughter's 11 and I, for years I've sort of seen particularly 
just some of the questions that she'll come home and ask. And you know that they've, they've come from conversations that she's had with a friend or something she's noticed with a friend. And it surprised me how young she was when I first had to start thinking about that. And you realise that that messaging is, is pushed at the kids from an appallingly young age, you know, um, boys and girls, but I still think that, that there is a, there's just so much, so much pushed on at girls. And um, I sort of, I, I, I wasn't my necessarily my, um, my plan with it, but she's got to the point now where she sees um, things through the lens of like equality um, and gets very upset when the standards are different for boys and girls. Um, or where people are set apart because, you know, they're not the norm. Um, and I think that has, that's mostly to do with her. She's just very fair-minded. I don't think that's something that I could tick off it as a, a result of parenting. But I think that um, any time our kids show a curiosity or a, um, that sense of, like, injustice or unfairness or... You know why? Why? Why can boys do this and girls can't? But I think um, showing up for that as well is really important, and kind of being prepared to have the conversations with them, even if you didn't necessarily think that they'd happen yet, um, is is something that I, I try and do. Yeah, it's. I don't know. Um, I wish I had answers. <laughs> um, so I'm just realising that this is almost a two-hour long call. Wow. Um, so Jess has also just shared. Um, so, okay. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but during the first week we, we spoke about finding something that would exemplify the values that we were working with, or, you know, a photo or a poem or, or something like that. Um, and I love the, the, the poem that, that Jess um, kept coming up with, which is uh, Wendell Berry. We learn from our gardens. We learn from our gardens to deal with the most urgent question of the time: how much is enough? And I love that. I think that's wonderful. Um, yeah, I think it's a really nice place to leave it. Actually, um, I was going to answer. Uh, actually, you know what? What I will do is Maple. Don't, I don't think she made it into the call today, but she sent me an email um, in response to last week where we were talking a little bit about purpose. And this is a purpose is a huge, huge um, kind of topic that there's entire encyclopedias written about. Um, but she was really, I guess, curious about um, whether or not people have a life's purpose, um, you know, that you can kind of bring down to a, a sentence or two or whether or not that is something that changes over time or that each value has a purpose attached to it. Um, and I won't kind of dig in too much to it because you guys have hung in there for two hours and I'm incredibly impressed. Um, but I, I sort of wanted to talk really briefly about the way I see purpose and hopefully that will help Maple. Um, I don't have a purpose statement. Um, and I think that if I did, it would change a lot because I'm much more intuitive in terms of the way that I work towards things. Um, I think if, if I had to say that, like, if I had to, to nominate a purpose, it would be something very broad, like 
being a good citizen of Earth or something. You know, <laughs> if that's a, a, the way that I get up and, and try and um, face the day. Uh, but I know that I I really um, lean heavily on my gut feeling with things. So uh, if I have a sense of alignment with my values or if something just feels right. I may not necessarily be able to articulate why. I may not even be able to rationalise it um, in any way that anyone else would find satisfying. But for me, it's that sense of, it, it's literally a gut feeling. Um, and I think that when, I'm, when I allow myself to tap into that, which I guess coincidentally given today's conversation, is usually when I stop for a minute and slow down and do some self-reflection that's when i will become aware of if there is something pulling or something that is kind of calling for for my attention in terms of purpose but i think that's probably because it, it's more i guess project based like i will have a purpose for a thing that i'm working towards or a purpose um rather than a life's purpose but i know a lot of people do have that so i asked ben um and he said that he will often have a single purpose statement for each of his three values and they change over time. So um, all of that to say, there's no right way. And I don't think we necessarily need to feel like we have a single purpose in life, um, but there is a huge amount of information. And I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, a huge amount of information out there. And I think that if you're curious about finding purpose or understanding what like this one tiny word that means a, a huge amount actually looks like. Um, I had a conversation with a, a woman named Carolyn Tate on the podcast a couple of years ago, which was all about purpose. Um, but she also speaks about the, a book called Ikigai. Um, I-K-I-G-A-I, um, which essentially is a, an idea where we kind of, I'm not even going to try and explain it. It's, um, it's finding that central thing that, that kind of brings values and brings work and brings, you know, life and the way that we live in the world together. And you've kind of got to, I've been talking for two hours and my brain's fried. What, when you've got those things that cross over, what are they called? You know, the circles. That cross <laughs> are you thinking of a diagram? Thank you. <laughs> There we go. Uh, yeah, anyway, it's, it's um, a process that you can kind of start to pull together all the different elements of your life and start to create a Venn diagram uh, that, that brings to light the things that, that are purposeful and the things that are tools that we can use. Um, but also, I haven't read it, but I know that it is very, very powerful, according to a lot of my friends, is Martha Beck's book, Finding Your North Star. Um, and again, that's, that's like an intuitive guide to finding that thing, that driving force behind your life. Um, and it could be really interesting for people who are either looking to still solidify their values or um, who are kind of looking for what those values look like in life. Um, yeah, so I, that was probably it unsatisfying answer may pull in the end, I'm sorry. Um, but try and read a little more about it. And I think that um, experimentation in terms of such a big idea as, pur of purpose, as purpose is uh, 
think that's a, a valuable way to at least start to explore, you know, try a few things on. Do I feel like I, I, I need to have a life purpose? Do I like the idea of having project-based purpose um, that, that shifts over time? Um, or do I need one? You know, is, are my values my purpose? Are they the things that I use to lead me forward? Um, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think that um, I've talked myself into a stupor. So, <laughs> uh, absolutely lovely to speak to all of you. Um, what a wonderful conversation, as always. Uh, I love how you all turn up so open-hearted. Um, yeah, and I think that, um, thank you, Angie. Uh, I think that it will, next week will be an interesting one. Um, I hope you all have a wonderful weekend, stay safe, and that when some of our kids are back at school next week and whatnot, that might have a, an opportunity to, to just shift and find that anchor that we were talking about. Um, thank you, guys. Have a wonderful day, night, and I'll see you next week. Bye.